You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all of the gifts that we have been given, especially during this Thanksgiving week. We are grateful for our many blessings. We also ask that you help us be mindful of the lessons that we teach our children, especially when it comes to technology, and help us to be mindful of of the role that technology plays in our lives, both at home and elsewhere. Um, Lord, we pray that you will provide us the wisdom and the courage to teach our children the correct way to use technology in a way that glorifies you and helps grow all of us. We ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, um, I'm Miller Garvin, and Cameron um, came up with this idea, and I think kicked it off a couple weeks ago. Unfortunately, I wasn't here, but um, to address the issue that technology, the role that technology plays in our lives as Christians, as parents. Um, and last week, um, I know Martin gave us a lot of really practical advice on how to deal with our cell phones and our kids and how to, how to put filters in place and turn things on and turn things off. And to be perfectly honest, I found it both very enlightening and also slightly terrifying. Um, but we are here to discuss a book um, that I've read over the last couple weeks called The TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. Um, so Cameron asked me to do essentially just a book report. We are all really busy people, um, and I know not all of us have time or the leisure time to read a lot of books. So hopefully I will give you all a good sort of summary of what um, the key takeaways are. And while I can't claim that we do all of this perfectly in our family, luckily um, Andy at the end of every chapter gives sort of a, a reality check on his own family and he doesn't really do all of it perfectly either. So we all um, we all fail in certain areas, but hopefully it'll help us be mindful about the role that technology plays. So, Tommy, if you'll go to the next slide for me, that would be great. Sorry, I don't have a clicker, so I am your clicker. Tommy is my human clicker. Um, so, <coughs> essentially, the book talks about putting technology in its proper place. Um, and I know there's going to be a lot of words on these slides. I know you all can read, so I'm not going to read it to you. But um, something that he sort of, in the in the introduction and the foreword, really dives into that pervades the rest of um, rest of the book is nudges versus discipline and nudges usually um, I would say for the purposes of this take the form of a more negative nudge whether it's a notification by our phone or sitting in a restaurant and a TV is playing over the person you're having dinner with shoulder and you're watching the TV just because it's flashing bright colors rather than listening to the person you're talking to um, but, so there's small changes in the environment that make it easier for us to make the choices we want to or maybe those that the environment wants us to make. Um, one, of the, one of the examples of a, a nudge that I thought was interesting was um, Andy's wife puts a salad on the table every single night. Now, if, you know, if when the salad goes around, everybody kind of takes some and they eat it. That's her nudge towards eating healthily. If the salad weren't there, 
they probably wouldn't go asking for it. But just by virtue of it being there, usually they eat some of it. So I was like, okay, that's, I can understand that. Um, so discipline um, comes with, you know, developing really the God-centered character and, and the strength to make good choices. Um, and I think a lot of this revolves around the family that we have, both nuclear family and church family, um, in, in having the support network around us to have that discipline. Um, so next, so, um, Andy focuses on 10 commitments. Now, three of them are centered around choosing character, shaping the space in which you live and work, um, primarily live, but and then structuring time to really develop um, that discipline. And then there are a whole host of practical um, guidance <coughs> for daily life. Um, and really with all of this being centered around the family. The family, again, as a nuclear unit, your extended family, and your church and your community family. That, you know, really the sense of just being our household family is not where history has focused. That the, you know, it takes a village is truly, you know, it's a real moniker, as we all know. Um, and uh, that we, we really embrace that village, um, especially as it comes to technology. Okay, Tommy. Um, so the first commitment is that we develop wisdom and courage together as a family. Next, please. Um, so choosing character. Um, both wisdom and courage are things that he really focuses on throughout the book. And wisdom being not just about knowledge, um, but about knowing what the right thing to do is that will honor the crea our creator and fellow, um, fellow creatures. And one of the passages... Um, I wanted to read to y'all is about how technology, how we are as humans um, and the role that technology plays broadly. That technology is good at serving human beings. It even, as in medical or communications technology, saves human lives. It does almost nothing to actually form human beings in the things that make them worth serving and saving. So just the fact that there's so much more to us, technology is everywhere. But there's so much more to us and our ability to learn and interact than technology could ever replace. Um, and courage being, you know, a habit of character that allows us to do the right thing in the face of difficulty. So it adding that that adversity in um, to the wisdom. Next, please. Um, so the next commitment is creating more than we consume um, so that we fill the center of our homes with things that reward skill and, and active engagement. So this was something that as I sat in my den on typing away on my laptop, um, as I looked around, one of the things that he really emphasizes is shaping the space in which you live and consume. Um, and sorry, you can go to the next one. Um, and creating a living area, basically making the center of your home something that is largely free from visible technology. So, for example, he, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but Andy didn't, he didn't have, they didn't have a TV in their house until their youngest child was 10 years old. So that seems a little bit extreme to me and might to some of you, um, but they, they created a space where 
you looked around and there wasn't technology assaulting you from every angle. Yes, they had Wi-Fi in their house. Yes, they had a microwave in the kitchen and you could probably see that. I sat in my den, I could see my microwave, my refrigerator, my TV, my router, my, I mean, my Alexa, who's recording everything we say. Um, so we are not good examples of this, but I thought that was an interesting way of, of he likened it to the hearth being the center of um, sort of the pre-technology home and now we have a furnace that passively heats our homes, cools our homes and the hearth is sort of lost from from our modern technology I mean our modern um, lives um, so the nudge in this was to make every every make the place where we spend the most time a place where easy everywhere is the hardest to find so it really creates um, it allows people to cr think creatively, to to engage with, with each other, as opposed to just sort of passively being together. Um, and again, I'm going to do this throughout the book, because throughout this talk, because um, I think there are a lot of passages that are worth repeating. Um, let's see. Hold on. There was one. Oh. So he says, um, what makes the things on our first floor valuable is not their price. Instead, it's the way each thing asks us, our children and our guests, to bring creativity and imagination to life together. So, okay, next. And y'all can stop me at any point if you have questions or want clarity on anything. Um, all right. Um, the third one is around... Um, structuring our time so that we are designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year. The Crouch family turns off their devices and worship feasts, worships, feasts, plays, and rests together. Um, this was something that really resonated with me because we have a policy of no, no toys at the table. And that includes our phones and often love my husband but he is the hardest to get to put his toy away um, and so we try and use that one hour of dinner time um, as sort of our one hour a day but then thinking through one day a week one week a year of going completely you know as much screen free I mean tech free I think is ideal but I, I think that's sort of hard to do with current situations, but um, you don't mind going to the next one, Tommy. Um, it, Crouch spends a lot of time talking through the difference between work and toil, and a lot of what we do now is not necessarily work, it's a lot of toil. And then also leisure versus rest. Um, and that for him, really taking a step back from his phone, his inbox, computer, everything allows him to rest. That when we sit at our phones, you know, even when we're resting and we're scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or, you know, answering friend emails or whatever the case may be, we're not actively resting. We're comparing ourselves to others and their seemingly perfect lives, and we're thinking about what our what our next recipe we're going to cook and how we're going to look that up. And maybe that's just me, but um, we're you know we're going through all this stuff. We're not really resting. And one of the things that Crouch does, and 
my friends, I had some friends visiting last night and they were just, we were all talking about this. And when they go on vacation, he sets a filter so that every email he gets goes into the trash and his vacation out of office is, I'm sorry I'm on vacation, I will never read your email. <laughs> so that when he gets back after his vacation, he doesn't have all these emails piled up and he doesn't spend his vacation thinking about all the stuff that's piling up while he's gone. So I don't know how practical that really is for the, I mean, maybe if you work in, you know, in an office where you're only interacting with the people in your office. Um, but, you know, for me, as, a, as an example, I mean, I work with people all over the state in all sorts of different, um, you know, different worlds, really. And that would be very difficult, unless obviously I explained in my my uh, out of office that I was truly trying to rest rather than just leisure. Um, but I thought that was interesting. And he, he acknowledged that not everybody has the, the capability to do that, but that it would be kind of nice <laughs> to not have to worry about all the stuff piling up while you're on vacation. Um, all right, next, Tommy. Actually, you can go too. Um, now we're getting into sort of the, the real daily life um, practical stuff. But uh, so show of hands, who sleeps with your phone next to your bed? All right, most everybody. I do too. Um, so parents, about 70% say that they do. Preteens, 72%. And teens, 82% sleep with their phone right there. Um, and then if you look at the red bars, I don't know if y'all can see all the text at the bottom, but um, the red bars are the technology um, aspects of what kids spend their time doing after school. So it's about 63% spend time watching a TV or a movie, um, around 40% play video games, and obviously you could answer more than one thing, but um, another 20% spent time social, using social media or texting, and then another about 18% um, are online not doing homework. So, I mean, those are pretty significant, um, and those are, you know, you're not playing sports. Where's the, playing organized sports is less than 20%. Um, reading for pleasure, informal play. So, and I don't know, honestly, the age of these kids. So if it was little kids, it could be different. But um, I thought that was very telling. Um, okay, next, Tommy. So we wake up before our devices, oops, sorry, typo, do, and they and go to bed. They go to bed before we do. Um, next. One thing that I guess I haven't really thought about, but it's obvious, is that one key difference between us as humans and the tech is that we need to sleep. They have no, they have no need to sleep. So we need to put them away. Um, and one of the things that he recommends is finding a central place in your home away from the bedroom and the entire family parks their screens there before bedtime. Um, and then that when you wake up, that you're the very first thing, since we all have them right by our, our beds, park them elsewhere. Use that he recommends getting, you know, just a regular old alarm clock and not using your phone for your alarm. And he said, I understand if, you know, for emergencies or something, one parent or one member of the family needs to have their phone nearby. But try and keep it away because obviously the blue screens and the constant nudges of notifications and what you know the vibration or ding or whatever when you get an email it's distracting it keeps you from getting a good night's sleep and um it just 
keeps you from really focusing on on the things that matter. So, um, and one of the things that again I did not really focus on, I guess, not having my children are are young. They are almost one's almost three and one is four. So we're just sort of getting into this realm of screens and um, you know they all they want to do is take pictures on my phone and watch movies, but of themselves. Um, <laughs> videos of themselves. Um, but I know, <laughs> but I know that that's something we're definitely going to have to deal with. And this was something that, um, um, we thought about. So even at their best, social media, like all media, substitutes distance, distant relationships for close ones. A 15 year old overcome by anxiety late at night might once had to have, what might once have had no choice but to turn to her parents down the hall from her bedroom for help, help and counsel. Now she can sp send out a blizzard of text messages to friends who completely understandably feel obligated to respond and feel gratified by the sense of being needed by a friend. Um, but this text and emoji mediated social support is thin, an echo chamber of teenagers with their limited perspective. It keeps a whole circle of friends awake late into the night and robs that 15-year-old and her parents, or even older siblings, of an in-person conversation, one that could be painful, challenging, reassuring, or even transformative. Um, and the fact that, you know, kids are, are sleeping with their phones and sent, they're communicating or doing who knows what late in the night, um, it's kind of terrifying. Next. So this is one that, uh, Kind of struggle with, I think, and I think that given how much emphasis, at least I hear, that the elementary schools place on technology and having your own, you know, iPad or tablet at a young age, um, that most people at school have them, um, he, they aim for no screens before double digits at school and at home. Um, let me go to the next page, next slide, Tommy. So he focuses a lot on how we are brains and bodies, but those cannot work alone. And that physical activity engages our brains um, in ways that mere thought or contemplation do not. And that we can't, we can't refuse to acknowledge that our kids are going to be inundated by technology at some point. And they're going to have to use it in their everyday lives. They're going to have to use it at school. But really trying to help them learn how to learn as opposed to the technology, putting them in front of a screen or letting them um, learn via technology because it makes it too easy. It's designed to distract. It's designed, I guess not designed to distract, designed to keep our attention, which means that it, it sort of constantly makes things easy and it, and it, um, we learn it too quickly, I guess, um, and that the the beauty of the difficulty occasionally in learning is is removed when we use too much technology. Um, and one one he said he said I, I recognize that this is difficult. This is something that especially as your children go to other they go to other families' houses and they go to friend you know on vacation or whatever. It's everywhere. So one of the things he says is try and engage your church or your small church family, whether that's a, a small group or um, your neighborhood, to 
be with you in this in this ability, you know, this attempt <coughs> to keep screens away. Um, and that, you know, in the face of all of that temptation that we try and eliminate passive screen time. So just having it on in the background when nobody's paying attention, um, just leaving the TV on all day. Um, reducing or eliminate unaccompanied screen time. So if you are going to let a young child use a screen to um, be present with them, make it a, a very um, intentional use of technology. Um, and then reducing social screen time because, as we all know, that just constantly leads to comparing to others and getting upset when you're not included in somebody's birthday party when they post it on Instagram or whatever it is. Um, next. How am I doing on time? Okay. I'm going to get finished early. Sorry, I'm kind of flying through this. Um, so number six is that we use screens for a purpose and that we use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. Um, and that kind of gets back to the reducing sort of the unaccompanied screen time, um, making your use very intentional. And no, sorry. no, no, you're right. This is perfect. Um, and that we are, and I'm all too aware of this phenomenon, that we use um, technology to pacify our children while we're trying to get dinner ready or we're trying to get dressed for church <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, we also call the witching hour, you know, five o'clock, mama needs a glass of wine and kids need a TV show. Um, but we are also, we are actually letting the TV bewitch our children. And it goes back to that constant stimulation and making things too easy. And that the more we try and, um, and entertain kids, the less we actually are and the less they have the ability to, um, to entertain themselves. Um, so making devices you use on purpose, not something used aimlessly and frequently. And again, there was, um, there's a passage here. Hold on. That's a, oh, 143. Um, he's talking about adult entertainment and being like adult TV shows, not of the other variety. <laughs> um, but he says the same is true. We get bored far easily, um, far more easily than we once were because we're just harder and harder to satisfy. We're getting, you know, news, uh, news clips and very small sound bites. The attention span is less and less. Um, thank you, Twitter. Um, but he says the same is true in thoroughly adult entertainment. 20 years ago, the Sopranos was a critical favorite and an, audi an audience hit in part because of its boundary-pushing depictions of sex, violence, along with its intricate plots of jealousy, loyalty, and betrayal. As I write, the hit show of the moment is Game of Thrones, whose level of psychological drama, not to mention lurid sex, violence, and violent sex, make The Sopranos look like something from an age of innocence. A world in which The Sopranos can seem innocent is a world ratcheting its way towards being unable to be shocked by anything, which is to say a world completely full of boredom. That really hit home. Um, that, I mean, he's right. The fact that we sort of see The Sopranos is not that bad. Whew. Maybe that's just me, but that seemed like a lot. Next. 
Um, car time is conversation time. Um, and this, we'll get to this, and I was thinking, all right, well, we listen to music in the car, all right, that's not, you know, it's not that bad. I'm, of course, streaming it through my phone, through the, you know, whatever. But um, if you'll go to the next one, that would be great. No, this one. Um, but really, we need to focus on strengthening conversations. Um, and he cites a study where it says that the first, um, you really don't get to the meat of a conversation until you're seven minutes in. So that, you know, you spend talk about the weather, you exchange pleasantries, how the kids, how's your parents, da, 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 da. Well, then you get into the, the substance seven minutes in. And you think about how few of our conversations last seven full minutes, very few. But the car, usually the car ride is longer than seven minutes and you're kind of have a captive audience. Um, you're all physically close together and it's a chance to really sort of dive deeper into some subjects that you may not necessarily have time to cover, want to cover, um, but uh, it's a time to really develop relationships. Um, and this, I, I never really thought about the fact that conversations are lessons in improv because you don't know what's going to come out of someone else's mouth and then you have to respond. And you also are not really positive what's going to come out of your own mouth. Um, and I think the more, the more you practice it and the more you do it, the better you are at it. Um, so that was, that was interesting. And then we also, he talks about, um, we'll get to music, so, and singing. Um, this number eight gets back to sort of the, um, graphic nature of what our kids and what we are exposed to, um, that spouses have one another's passwords and parents have total access to children's devices. And I know Martin talked a lot about this last week. Um, but I don't need to tell y'all sex is everywhere. It's easy to get whether, you know, through technology. Um, and difficult to avoid. And thir I was kind of blown away by these stats that 30% of all internet traffic is porn. Um, and that 62% of teenagers say they have received a nude image on their phone and 40% say they have sent one. Um, and much of that ease of access has resulted in the family being reconfigured. Um, you know, whether that's pervasive porn resulting in parental you know, marriage issues, um, but one-third of the children in the U.S. live without their biological father at home, which Crouch gives a whole host of stats about, you know, the ways in which that impacts children. Um, and that we really, if we spend our lives trying to avoid sex and technology and we try and, you know, avoid porn, all this, that's not the point he's trying to make. The point is, yes, we try to avoid it, but that we also create a healthy immune system in our homes, that there is accountability, transparency, and visibility with technology, um, that the family computer is, sorry, Ginger, can you see it? Um, that the, the family computer is screens out so that anybody using it can see that, you know, the kids know um, that at any point, a parent can look at their phone and see what their browsing history is or see what their text messages say or, you know, go to Snapchat or whatever. Um, and something that he mentioned, and I don't know this was possible, is that you can put a filter on your home Wi-Fi. Do you all know about this? I did not. Um, 
hold on, I think his is called, uh, yeah, he says, um, parents who don't, do not implement powerful filters on the data streaming into their home are foolish about both their children's vulnerability and their own. Our home is our home internet is filtered by the Open DNS service, which constantly updates and blocks sources of sexually explicit content as well as other objectionable material. Um, so anyway, practical advice there. Um, so now here's the the music side of things. Um, was we learned to sing together rather than letting recorded and amplified music take over our lives and worship. Um, and I think the big takeaway for me on this was that, and I was hyper observant of it in church today, um, was that we let amplified music and professional choirs and instrumentals let us as worshipers off the hook. Um, they, you know, we feel like, well, our voices aren't good enough to be heard, or, you know, I can't carry a tune, because that is true. Poor Will and Ginger had to hear that. Um, but without my, they, it teaches us that without microphones, we're just consumers of worship rather than active offers and active participants in it. Um, and everything from church to, you know, having professional, fantastic singers of the national anthem at every sporting event where we're just watching someone sing the national anthem, not actually singing it ourselves um, and participating. And then also, you know, in the car, rather than teaching our children various songs or hymns or anything that we might um, sing with them, we're just, you know, piping music in for our own enjoyment. Um, and the last one is the that we show up in person um, for the big events of life. And we learn how to be human by being fully present at the moments of greatest vulnerability um, and that we hope to die in one another's arms. And I think his point in saying this is is that, you know, technology has allowed us, I mean, whether it's airplane travel has allowed us to go further away um, on vacations or further away to college or live further from our families. And then we look at Skype or FaceTime as a substitute for, um, for human contact. And it's not. And that if they're, he makes the point that he and his wife, if they are invited to a wedding, it doesn't matter where it is or if they had other things going on, they make every possible effort to get to that wedding, to show up in person for the vows of marriage, um, which, I mean, you know, I think about how many weddings we have said, oh, mm, not all that convenient a place. Eh, maybe not. Maybe that says a lot about us. But um, I don't think we're alone <laughs> in that. Um, but showing up and, and being there in person is something that um, I think is really really important and he he emphasizes that a lot um so the last piece of this um and the if time you feel good in the next slide is really just this is the theme that that gets repeated over and over but it's just really building your lives together um that we are meant to build this life together the kind of life that at the end is completely dependent upon one another the kind of life that ultimately transcends and does not need the easy solutions of technology because it's caught up in something more and more la more true and more lasting than any alchemy our technical technological world can invent. So, and I think that that um, you know obviously pertains to our families, but also our church life and our faith. Um, 
which I think is his, his overall point. So that is all from me. Um, do y'all have questions? Do you feel like you've read some of the book? You don't have to read it now. <laughs> when did he write this book? When did it come out? Let's see. Good question. This year. 2017. Yep. That I do not know. I don't think so, actually. I'd be surprised um, just because Cameron offered to order it for me. Well, but he was going to have it delivered to my house, but then he forgot. Um, But nothing like using Amazon Prime to have the Tequas family delivered to your house. Don't have to go to church to the bookstore. Um, But uh, it might be. I don't know. But it's good, and it's re- it really made me think a lot about and be much more obser- observant about how really present technology is in everything that we do. So, anybody else? Yes, Abby. Um, it's a good reminder that we, I like how you said technology can bewitch our children, too. Yeah. And a reminder that we're not beholden to technology. I mean, it, the world doesn't have to tell us how to use it and how to engage in it. You know, our oldest is almost he's the only one in his seventh grade class without a phone. But I don't see why he would need a phone. So, you know, <laughs> even though every other child in his class has a phone, and yes, he feels left out, um, I still know at my core that the best thing for him is not to be Snapchatting and not to be on Facebook and not to be, you know, I'm there. He doesn't need your phone to call me. He can use the home phone or he can use the phone at school that the kids can use. But it's hard because even other parents that's weird. Don't you feel like he's not safe? You know, they're trying to mm-hmm. tell me what I should think about technology. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself, I'm in charge. You know, technology does not own me. Like, we don't do TV or computer during the week. It's just off, period. And, you know, again, my kids are like, every other kid can watch TV whenever they want. And I'm like, <laughs> As we say, you know, if all your friends jumped off Vulcan, would you right. do that too? Yeah. <laughs> And that's one of the things that he says about, you know, seeing if you can get, he said, I realize it's going to be really difficult, especially for those kids that at school are bombarded by it. And every kid in their class has it. And they're the, they're the outlier that trying, he said, we were blessed with a school system that didn't emphasize technology as much. And also with a church community that rallied everybody sort of read this book to, or not read this book, obviously, because he wrote it, but took that sentiment to heart um, and everybody was sort of in it together. And I think there's a lot of merit to that in, in not creating outliers um, of our kids because, Lord, they've got enough pressure. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's really hard. I know. And I agree. I'm, I applaud your efforts at, yeah. at keeping it keeping it out. So, Tommy? I, uh, had two thoughts. One is I really like the emphasis on that, you know, and I get Martin's, I was at Martin's last week, like, there's obviously a lot of things that we need to be doing for our children, but, you know, or at least I can speak for myself, I am terrible. Like, I am not doing what I need to do for myself on technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, it's been, I actually this summer took a little time off from technology, and it was really weird how it, it took a few days to, like, 
to not like kept I kept like it's an addiction and then I was like (laughs) and uh, you know after like a week I was I got over that but then I went back and you know it's just like you fall back into this you know even if I don't have anything to check on for work it's like I got to know what's going on on like alabama.com it's like why do I need to know 20 times a day if there's anything new on out you know CNN or whatever yeah so I, I think you know that's it's very convicting to like try to think about what technology like when we talk about the subject, a lot of times it sort of seems like, well, we are adults, so we know how to handle technology, but like we got to help our mm-hmm. kids. But really, you know, we're in a lot of times worse shape than they are. Uh, but also, I think, and this kind of goes to what you're saying about rallying the. I feel like in talking with parents who have older children, our oldest is seven. It seems like everybody gets to an age where, you know someone's kid has to be the first kid to get a phone you know like you're 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 at the stage where like everyone has a phone except for your kid but at some point there's like the day where the first person gets a phone and who is that person you know and i feel like it my theory on it is it's usually like sort of the least common denominator it's like the the person who's the least engaged with this mm-hmm. who's like the easiest thing is just throw a phone in their hand and they'll be quiet so i'm gonna you know and then a lot of us i think we then measure ourselves against that. So we say, like, that's ridiculous. They've got a phone in X grade. So it's kind of like I've got to wait some amount of time till I can be like, all right, well, now most people have yeah. them, so I've kind of got to go along with it. And that, to me, just is very disheartening that, like, the driver of that decision that's obviously a very important one is the person who cares the least. Um, and I, I definitely admire... And feel like there's always going to be a part of us where, like, we've got to make decisions for our families and and say, like, I don't care what everybody else is doing. This is what we're going to do. But I sometimes feel like as a community or as a church, like, we could be more proactive in saying, you know, in sort of voicing what we think should be the right time. The reasons why, like you mentioned, or you mentioned, like, safety. Like, that is... I read this book or started reading this book called How to Raise an Adult, and it talked about, like, this in the 80s when the John Walsh and America's Most Wanted, how, like, our country became, like, we got in our heads that, like, people were just going to, like, drive up and snatch our children. (laughs) And, like, if you look at the stats, it's, like, 0.0001% of all kidnappings are from, like, strangers who just show up and grab somebody. Yeah, I mean, every Amber Alert you see is where they're with their father or their cousin or whomever. But despite that reality, I think, like, the whole safety thing is such a, like, straw man. Like, people are like, well, I mean, I've got to give my kid a phone because... What if they walk like half a mile up to the village? And so they they're in Crestline Village. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just think uh, I don't know what I'm saying other than I think that this is a really good topic, and I think the more we can, as a church community, and maybe as a community at large, like in our schools and stuff, kind of not not let the the conversation or the the you know, indoctrination of technology happen from people who aren't being thoughtful about it mm-hmm. better. And Tommy, mm-hmm. we're looking for that. We're looking for that as a community. We're looking for the advice of this is the best. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know what you're saying, what you're trying yeah. to say. We're looking for it. Mm-hmm. We need it. Yeah. Maybe. Oh. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> I was going to say one thing that you touched on that really was probably the biggest thing to me. I don't even know if I ever put it together with the technology thing the art of conversation mm-hmm. with two teenagers and I know teenagers don't you know but I feel like their whole life I've even 
They don't. Well, and you think about everything. I mean, standing in the grocery store line, you could, in theory, have seven minutes standing in the line at Publix, but you're scrolling on your phone, not interacting with anyone around you. On the airplane, same deal. I mean, the number of times I remember in college, pre iPhone, um, having single, what my husband calls single serving friends. And one of them lived here in Birmingham and offered me a job two weeks later. Like, because we'd had a great conversation on the airplane. Um, that doesn't exist anymore. You don't just strike up, com really. I mean, most people don't just strike up conversations. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I'm gonna put my headphones on and look away. I mean, uh, um, so you're right. I mean, the art of conversation really is lost especially with kids it's it's just hard to draw them out and i think the car i actually I, I really liked the idea of sort of outlawing some level of technology especially as my children get older um and hearing about what went on in their days and knowing you know getting deeper into just i played on the playground with so and so and my teacher told me this um and that's where you learn about you know, mean girls or bullies or whomever or what issues they're having and really trying to draw them out um, beyond those seven-minute pleasantries. But anywho, all right, bells are ringing. Thank you all. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.